the main energy that we work with in Tantra is love. Yeah, there is this wonderful book of Erich Fromm, The Art of Love, that you can love more. And in Tantra you can love much, much, much more. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friends. I hope you're doing well. This will be the shortest podcast introduction of all time because if you can't tell I'm sick <laughs> I sound a bit like a uh, some kind of chain smoking frog uh, my voice is not as <laughs> perhaps not as uh, smooth as uh, you might be accustomed to so I'll keep this short but anyway today uh, I'm really excited to share part two of my conversation with my friend and teacher Mr. Uriel Yareev Uriel is a Tantra yoga teacher here in Chiang Mai. He's also a psychologist. And in today's conversation, Uriel and I get deeper into tantric relationships, tantric sex, what the tantric path looks like. And uh, I found particularly interesting how Uriel came to be walking this very intriguing path called Tantra. But before you listen to this, if you haven't listened to part one, I would strongly recommend you go back and listen to that first, episode 14, part one. I think that this conversation today in part two will just be a lot more interesting and engaging if you have the background from part one and have some grasp of the basics of what we're talking about. So be sure to go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. Aside from that, I'll remind you that ratings and reviews mean a whole lot to me. So if you're enjoying Humans in Love, if you're enjoying this weird little podcast I bring you every week, please let other people know, let the podcast gods know, let the Apple overlords know. Go to Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, and please leave a rating and a review. It really means a lot to me. Without any further ado, I present to you part two of my conversation with Mr. Uriel Yareev. One of the things I really like about Tantra is the fact that there isn't a ton of dogma at all. Um, but could you give some examples of some of the do's and don'ts principles that you're talking about? I think that would be good. Yes. So no violence. Yeah, it's very, very clear. And being, it's, it's the same like the yamas and yamas in yoga. And being completely truthful. Making a continuous effort. So... In Tantra, it's not, in many traditions it's described, you make an effort today and retire later. Spiritual retirement, yeah? You do, you do, you do, and then you're there on the golden throne and you do nothing and you stay, you're in the highest level. There's no, you can absolutely not go higher. You're enlightened, you're game enli over. You're enlightened, game over. Now you can retire and receive every month your... Spiritual, spiritual pension? Spiritual pension, <laughs> yes. You don't need to work spiritually anymore. In Tantra, it's not like that. A spiritual master 
is the one who is evolving the faster, the fastest. The fast or the higher you go in Tantra, the faster you evolve, the bigger the efforts that you make. The greatest Tantric masters would still, at the age of 90, if you look at the life of Milarepa, would still make tremendous spiritual effort. Or Ashriya Rubindu, you had to take a modern Tantric, very old age, he would still burn to, to grow and to transform. It's a continuous transformation. There's no finish line. There's no finish line. Yeah, the, the finish line is that when you stop resisting transformation, when it stops bothering you, that's the finish line. But it doesn't mean that they rest in peace. No, it's live in peace, grow in peace, rather. Yeah? The universe is growing in Tantra. The universe is evolving. A spiritual master is growing as fast as the universe. That's the, you evolve as fast as the universe evolves. Because it's still, it's still improving itself. So in the same way. So we had non-violence, being uh, truthful, making a continuous effort, maintaining a purity and a certain selflessness, yeah? and growing continuously in love. The text, I don't remember, one of the tantras, possibly Kularnava Tantra, says when love becomes infinite, the impossible becomes easily possible. The main energy that we work with in Tantra is love. Yeah, there is this wonderful book of Erich Fromm, The Art of Love, that you can, be, you can love more. And in Tantra you can love much, much, much more. And you charge your entire life with a tremendous amount of love. And then more love. And then more love. And uh, there's this quote of St. Augustine. It says, love and do whatever you feel like. Yeah? Once love comes to such an intensity, the energy, the experience of love becomes so big inside of you, everything that you would do would be right. And there's so many tantric techniques. And every tantric practitioner, that's, that's one of the main things that you do. You learn to love more, more and more and more and with a higher and higher intensity and that's what keeps you safe on the path and if you feel for three days your heart is dry and you didn't love that's a big alarm sign and when you talk about love you're not just talking about the love that we might have for an intimate partner right yeah yeah the love for everything yes the love for nature and for your friends and the love for yourself yes the love for your partner the love for your family for humanity for the entirety of the universe the love for god that has to come and, and if you look, yeah, if as a tantric you say, okay, this is 2018. In 2017, how much love I had in my heart. In 2018, I have the same. Something is wrong. The path is not working. Yeah, this is not a good something in your system is not working. Every year, every month, you need to learn to love more. There's no, uh, there's no other way. And there's, the, it's just, the, this is the, how to say, we said Tantra is dangerous, this is, what, this is your way to stay safe. If you continue to grow in love, because you grow in everything else, and you get very, very strong. You get strong in charisma, you get strong physically, you get strong sexually, you get strong on the vital level. And in order to balance that, you need to balance strength with goodness. How do you do that? With love. 
So you have to continuously grow. In, you grow in concentration. You grow in focus, in efficiency. You grow in willpower. All that's wonderful, but can easily deviate. How do you not deviate? By growing continuously in love. That's the ultimate uh, safety belt in Tantra. Yes. I'd like to get practical for a moment, because I don't think we've talked much about yoga. How does yoga fit into this? Why is it so important to this path? Yes, they are intertwined. So Tantra is Tantra Yoga. The Tantric tradition and Yoga tradition have developed uh, simultaneously and you cannot really distinct who is who. Yeah. The methods are so intertwined. The Hatha Yoga system was formed by Tantrics, yeah, by Matsyendra Nata and Goraksha Nata. The Natas are one of the lineages of of tantrics, so the actual hatha yoga that everyone is doing today, the physical yoga, was formed by tantrics in the 14th century. So um, yoga is one of the, when it's practiced in a tantric way, it's one of the best ways to do your energy work daily inside. Yes, and this is the essence. Once the yoga was created, it was created as a ladder. The physical techniques of yoga, they are a ladder to get us step by step to higher and higher states of meditation, to higher and higher states in lovemaking, to higher and higher states of devotion. So they reprogram our energetical system. When yoga is practiced correctly in a meditative way, the physical postures and breathing exercises, they are transforming our emotions, our mind, our concentration, our vital level. This is what Hatha Yoga is about and it's, yeah, it's without it, Tantra will be almost impossible. And you, just to give some context, how much yoga do you do on an average day, would you say? Five hours. Five hours. Yeah, five hours of wow. yoga and meditation yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the past 17, now eight, coming to 18 years. Yes, some days I do more, but most days, five hours. Yes, and without it, it would be... It would be just talking about these things and uh, being frustrated of not being able to actually live them. It is the practice that's... Do you think that every tantric has to block out five hours of their day to embark on this path, though? Um, I feel that the path of Tantra, you need to give it 24 hours. You cannot give it five hours. You have to give everything that you have once you decide it's your path. But of course, you don't uh, just jump into it because you heard one lecture. So you play. Yeah, you play with the path. You do 15 minutes of yoga, you do half an hour, you do an hour. You start with sexual continence, you play like that. But once you feel this is, this is what you want in life, then it takes your entirety of life. And uh, yes, five hours I sit on the mat. But when I drive on the bike and when I'm talking to you now, and whatever I do, there is a, an integration. It is done with a specific intention. It is, let's say, surfacing up certain things which are a part of the path. Yeah, this conversation and everything that we do now is a part of the path. So you would consider having conversation with me, eating dinner as 
part of your project? Possibly, yeah. Sometimes, I'll not uh, know, I'll not lie or exaggerate. Sometimes I'm just eating or just <laughs> watching a movie. But sometimes I sit and watch a movie and throughout the movie I do exercises of consciousness so that I, how to say, I can savor a movie to an ecstatic degree. Yeah, I savor my inner world and the movie at the same time. I meditate. I don't just watch the movie. I meditate. It can be a stupid movie. Easier when the movie is interesting, but it can be a stupid movie. I've, I've seen my teachers, how they watch a film and why they insist. We all go, well, why to watch a film? Yeah, so I, I've seen them and I've studied them, how they look. And the movie itself becomes a spiritual experience, becomes an experience of absorption. It's very easy not to think of anything else but the movie. When you do it with the meditation, it's quite difficult. But when you sit two hours in front of a movie, normally, if the movie is good, you don't think about other things. Well, you can do that consciously by deliberately focusing on the movie. And then the movie, I come out, and walking there in the cinema, I feel my consciousness is as big as the hall, with this utter ecstasy, because I just watched uh, The Avengers. I don't know what. <laughs> something for children, something silly, but it doesn't matter. Yeah? But sometimes, yeah, I watch a movie and I'm tired or flat, and I just, yeah, I watch the movie. That's really interesting, though, because I do what you're talking about with music all the time. But when I watch films, and I love films, but I'm often approaching films from very intellectual, okay, what is the director trying to say here? I'm really trying to piece it all together. Um, you know, what's the message? I'm approaching it from that, that kind of standpoint. I don't really approach film as meditation. Perhaps I should. That's, that's interesting. Because why haven't I? I mean, I do it with music. You know, I like to do it with art. But that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Yes, to give you an example, in the Tantric tradition, in this uh, tradition of Kashmir, they would prepare all the students, the advanced students, for one year they would prepare a theater show. And they would play the show once. And the audience would be the master. Just that. And they would go into ecstasy while displaying the theater show. Of course, it was very meaningful. The one would play Ganesh, and one would play Shiva, and then for a year he would meditate for that two hours or three hours of the show to be Shiva. Mm. And the master would look at them, just look, and they would enter ecstasy. And there's a very big uh, chapter, almost as big as sexuality, yeah, to put it in context, about admiring art and Tantra and how to admire art. And there's camps in Europe in our school and some of our teachers, that's what they teach. How to contemplate art in a Tantric way and to enter spiritual ecstasy looking at a statue, looking at an artwork, listening to... Of course, music is the, the ultimate. Yeah? From all the forms of art, it is touching the highest. Yeah? But also with a film, also with theater, and so forth. I'm going to look into that more because that's something that uh, comes pretty naturally to me. I'm not saying that, that uh, I'm a spiritual master by any means, but it's, that's always something I really love to do, is just totally immerse yourself in it and use it as a... Use music as, as meditation. Yes, so you can see uh, the teacher that gives it uh, from our school is called Adinata. He's giving a few camps a year. And the texts were written by Abhinava Gupta, one of the greatest tantric masters. He's quoted in, in when you study aesthetics in university and so forth. He's quoted there as one of the greatest 
philosophic minds of aesthetics and of savoring arts and so even mainstream recognizes him but beyond the mainstream he gives some very clear methods mm. yeah yes let's before we run out of time we still have a bit of time but i'd like to talk a little more about tantric sexuality and how that can play out in long-term relationships because we live in an era now when I think a lot of people are experimenting with various forms of relationship arrangements um, that are not strictly monogamous. Obviously the divorce rate is over 50% um, and the divorce rate for people who remarry is something like 70% or something. It keeps going up, right, every, every yes. marriage. Um, and I see, I'm not sure if I'll say Tantra, but well, a lot of Tantric ideas about masculine feminine polarity and sexual continence and sexuality as a spiritual tool that to my mind can have an enormously beneficial impact on long-term relationships can really be a game changer in that sense if you're someone who struggles with monogamy we'll say or if you're someone who gets quote-unquote bored in relationships i think this path is really the antidote to that in so many ways so I'll, I'll just say briefly, I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking because I'm a guy and that's my experience, but I think after, when you're engaged in tantric lovemaking, the urge afterward is not, at least for me, it's not to run away. It's certainly not to fall asleep. I mean, the, the amount of energy you get from that and inspiration and just, you feel like you can do anything. You know, you feel you, could, you, 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 sh you want to show up in, a, in the world as a man in a way that I never have before, you know? And your delight in your partner is not lessened, it's amplified. I mean, it's, you just want to just dive into the ocean of that person even more, you know, after lovemaking. It's very, very, very different from the standard model of, you know, have 10 minutes if you're lucky, <laughs> um, have a, you know, ejaculate and then go to sleep. It's very, very different. And it can have a really beautiful effect on the closeness that you experience with your partner and the relationship more generally. There's a lot to cover here, but we talked a little bit about polarity, but what are the benefits of tantric sex uh, in long-term relationships as you see them? Like, why, why, is this a, why is this a good thing? Yes. Yeah, now, humanity is not managing many things correctly. Yeah, we don't manage our garbage, we don't manage our ecology, we don't manage our wars. We don't manage our politics very well, but certainly relationship is one of the biggest uh, problems. And the problem comes from a misconception or many, many misconceptions of relationship. Whereas if you look at traffic laws, for example, they're pretty good. Yeah, we kind of learned, okay, if we put green on all the stoplights together... Although we'll we're in accidents. Thailand, so I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Maybe in Israel or Canada or... <laughs> yes, yeah, but still... Yeah, it, it's still pretty good. It's, yeah. it's logical, it makes sense, yeah? So one has red, one has green. One passes, one stops. Nobody kills each other, yeah? We have some accidents, but not 50%, like with the right. divorce rate, yeah? One out of 1,000 or 10,000. Good. So... Obviously, from the data that you quoted, if we have 50% divorce, divorce rate, and it's not like the other 50% are fully happy, the one that stayed, the one that stayed married, either they're good friends or they got used to each other like a back pain for the kids and for the mortgage, 
or some are happy, I'm not saying. There are happy couples and there are people, but normally they figured it out themselves or they had some very good guides and so forth. But the majority of people have very profound misconcepts about relationship, otherwise the relationship would work. Yeah? Now, um, in Tantra, the understanding of polarity, what's the masculine, what's the feminine, what makes the masculine stay in a relationship, what makes a guy stay in a relationship, is a very big question. Yeah? What attitude from the woman would make the guy stay? This is a million dollar question. Well, read the tantras. It's very precisely described there. A woman, if she stays in that state that she is in the beginning of the relationship, if she stays that in love, that feminine, that open, that ever new, because it's a feminine quality. Women can be always ever new. It's, it's a part of their nature. That's, that's femininity. If she stays in that place, the guy would be totally and continuously fascinated by her and he will rediscover her as I, I personally feel now five years of a relationship or coming to five years. Because my woman is, is, is all crazy. She's all new. She's all unpredictable. And she's so uh, madly in love with me. And I'm... As, as a result, I'm also madly in love with her. Now, for the guy, the fundamental understanding is that you are the pillar, you are the center of the relationship. And if you want a relationship, you assume that role. Most guys feel like they enter the relationship and they want the burden to be carried equally. The burden of responsibility, of decision-making, of being aware. All that they wanted today carried equally. That's not very masculine. And it will destroy the relationship. If you understand as a guy that it's your role, the woman brings the change, she brings the color, she brings the unexpected. The guy gives the solid, responsible structure. You are the base. You are the pillar. And once you uh, understand that, want it or not, if you want a relationship that's functioning, stay there, you will see that your woman, instead of being uh, nasty and nagging and annoying, she will become the same amazing woman that she was in the beginning. So if you take your role as the center as the responsible, lucid, awake consciousness of the relationship, as the unchanging, unbreakable, you're an elephant, can hit you from all sides, you're still walking north. Yeah? And she assumes or reassumes the role that she had in the beginning of being life, the relationship will not uh, just stay the same like you had in the first few months. You will fall in love stronger. This, this falling in love of the first few months that everybody longs for, that's just the opening spot. Relationships get much better. With, my, with, with Blandine, with my lover, I don't think there is a day in which I, I am not put into tears from, from the love and from the gratitude of having such a miraculous woman in my life because she plays her role and I'm doing my best to play my role and in this way we just feed each other 
I feed her femininity by being a man and she feeds my masculinity by being a woman. And then that feeds, again, it's a positive spiral. Then I become even more masculine. She becomes even more feminine. And it's just ad infinitum. It just continues to grow that way. Of course, we have our fallouts, we have our fights, we have our tensions. I chicken out, she dries out, all that. We, we do have all these things, but at least we know where we are going. We have the information and we know where to put the free resources that we have in making the relationship better. One of the things you, you said in, um, in, I think one of the first times I heard you speak, you said Tantra doesn't care about political correctness. Yes. Um, and I, I like that a lot. And, and I know what you're saying because I've been around you, I've been around your lover, and I've been around the school a little bit. But I know some people will listen to this and think, well, what the hell is he talking about? He's talking about some kind of 1950s patriarchal model of relationships. I mean, I know your partner. She's an enormously strong, big, you know, like big presence. Like she's not a meek little by any means. Um, and you use the word equal, and, and I'm not sure maybe there's a better word. Absolutely, like the way I look at it is absolutely equal in the relationship, but different, right? Playing different roles, yes. right? I just think it's, it, it, it's worthwhile to make that distinction. Yes. Yes, and it's not, uh, you don't enter these roles as a dogma. You right. don't enter these roles, you play. But you don't, um, how to say, you enter the essence of it. As a guy, you simply keep the lights on all the time. That's just, as soon as you turn off the lights, you become unconscious, you become automatic, know that your relationship will crash. That's such an important idea. And could you unpack that a little more? Keep the lights on always. What do you mean? Yes. Even so, just practical examples. Yeah, so guys have this tendency, everyone has it, but guys more. I want to go on autopilot. I want to zone out. You come to your woman and yesterday worked and then you do the same thing you did yesterday, like a robot. Yesterday she was melting from the flowers and the poem and all that. Today she doesn't feel anything because you are not there. It's just, you're just replaying and you're sleeping inside. You kiss her yesterday or five minutes ago, you kissed her with all your heart. You were there, you were savoring it fully. And now you kiss her and you're thinking of something else. You do that a lot, and she'll bite your head off. It's good that she bites your head off, because it reminds you to stay awake. You understand? Yes. Yeah, so that's what it's about. It's like you, you let go gradually, but completely. You move towards letting go completely of this uh, aspiration or this wish, this desire. To, uh, to fall asleep in autopilot. It's not, okay, I find the formula and now the robots are working for me. Yeah, the mental robots and everything is happening automatically and I just zone out. Not in Tantra. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, the chapter in The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Stop hoping for a completion of anything in life. Right? We have that kind of instinct, like if, we, if I just make enough money or if I just solve this one problem, my relationship shall leave me alone. Yes. If I just sort of this one issue with my friend will be, you know, everything will be good. And then it, but it never ends, right? It never ends. But that's such a masculine instinct, you know, just wanting to just break free. And like, you know, why do we watch sports, right? We break free. There's all this struggle. We break free. And then we score a goal. And, ah, 
you know, like we, can, we can rest, it's over. But then the next play starts and it all starts again, right? Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, it's, 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 again, that was another one of those game-changing moments for me because I saw so much of myself in those pages. It was like, yes, that's, that's me. I'm hoping for a completion of all these things and it's, I'm waiting in vain. That, that will never come. Yeah, life doesn't get easier in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but your um, your resistance to life gets smaller. Yes. As as this aspiration diminishes, you're just happy to have a challenge. And you find instead of finding you have your moments of challenge when you're stressed and somehow vigilant and then moments in which you are peaceful but somehow unconscious, you learn to bring the two good parts together. And inside the challenge, you stay relaxed and detached. It's another one of a thousand challenges. And when you rest, you stay vigilant. You rest in meditation. Yeah, you don't just rest unconscious. Right. Yeah, that's, that's where we're going to. And, and again, there's, there's so much to cover. There's so much that I could ask you. But while we're talking about relationships, in tantric relationships, um, there is a lot of emphasis put on, on sexuality and having a fair amount of sex. There's the old, you know, the cliche that tantrics have 12 hour, you know, yes. lovemaking sessions. Um, how important is that, do you think, to tantric relationships, like carving out regular amounts of time to, to make love? Yes. Yes. So um, in our relationship, when we have control over our schedule, we make love four or five times a week about an hour and a half, two hours. Because we have each one five hours of practice and a whole school to run and all sorts of projects and writing workshops and so forth. When we have more time, then normally we stay with four, time, four or five times a week, but we do three, four hours, yeah, and, or even five hours. And um, you see, if you make love even, let's say, twice a week, two, three times a week, two hours, two, three times a week, your life will not dry out. Mm -hmm. You will stay creative. You will stay alive. Or you will not be able to make love so long. <laughs> if you did dry out, you don't know what to do there in the bedroom after, after 20 minutes. So it keeps you, it keeps you extremely alive. And uh, we spoke before about growing in love. That's the way you are making love. That's the best way to grow in love is to make love to someone you really, really love. And following all the sequence of the tantric lovemaking, you grow in love. And uh, yeah, it's like a rebirth every time. You're just reborn after every lovemaking. And it's, it's overwhelmingly beautiful. It leads to such amazing spiritual states. There was one retreat in my life um, we were making love, so we did about 10 to 11 hours of yoga and meditation and 3 hours of lovemaking every day for a month. And then once a week we would do a 24-hour meditation. And that stayed, that was September, I think, until December, January, this, this elevated state of consciousness was just there. I remember walking up the stairs or going to the toilet, or doing physical labor, and that ecstasy 
was was just continuously month and month it stayed after as a, as an impact yeah so it's up to that degree as a as an effect yes well, what about for single people if someone is single wanting to embark on this path do you have any general because i think a lot of people would would listen to what you're saying and think well well i need to partner for to have all of this um, what advice would you give single people who want to embark on this path? Yes. So you take the um, practices of tantric yoga and tantric meditation and you elevate yourself. It's actually a very big opportunity when you're single. Yeah, because doing that, you will attract a much higher partner. Yeah, and the, something that fits you, fits your inner nature much, much more. And you take that period, and it's important to have such such periods in life. Yeah? So you take that period as an intense ascending period. You just do a lot, a lot of spiritual practice. If it's a month, if it's three years, if it's five years, it doesn't matter. And the higher you will raise yourself, the higher will be the relationship that you enter. The more you will have to give, the more elevated the partner that you will attract. So yes, you focus then a lot on the, you build your masculinity or femininity in an elevated way through the meditation and yoga, planting or preparing for a very elevated relationship to come. And I know we talked about this a little already um, in the past, but I, I found it interesting. How did you find Tantra? How did you come to be walking this path? Because you grew up in Israel. Yeah. So um, I, was, I grew up in a rather atheistic house and I was quite uh, completely science is God and no spirituality whatsoever, even quite uh, in a demonstrative way. Around the age of 16, with uh, Leonard Cohen and then other poets and writers, I started having a bigger and bigger interest in what's the meaning of life first with philosophy and then with oriental philosophy and then with spirituality and uh, at a certain point it just became the center of my life just from reading and trying to meditate from the books which was a catastrophe but I tried I, I remember in the weekends very often I wouldn't sleep because I would interrogate, I would read books and write what's the meaning of my, at the age of 16 or 17, what's the meaning of my life? I couldn't live anymore a life which I don't know why, and I couldn't find why. I said, okay, nothing else matters. If I don't know why, why to go north or why to go east if I don't know where I want to go? Did you flirt with Nietzsche and nihilism at some point? Yeah, like yeah, I read uh, Nietzsche and... Uh, Yes, Albert Camus and all this existential, uh, slightly pessimistic, <laughs> Schopenhauer, yes, Freud and so forth. And they didn't satisfy you? No. No, they satisfied the... Um, they were good for the search. I mean, they, they, they fed the hunger. They made me more hungry to know the meaning of life. That was very good. But the answer, if you look at the life of Nietzsche or the life of Albert Camus, I don't want to be like that, you know, just to have a headache and not to have any friends for my entire life and to be very arrogant. Yeah, you know, the, the writings are fantastic, but 
you know, if I follow that, I will become that. You know, I don't want that. Yeah. What a damning life account, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> to have a headache and no friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yes, I mean, some of the ideas, the questions are very inspiring. The answers, for me, not. Or, like, they need to be stripped. There's something true, especially in Nietzsche. Yeah, there's something true, but needs to be stripped. So um, I got to Eastern philosophy and especially to Buddhism. I was I was just going mad. I didn't have friends. I didn't have anybody to speak to about these things. Just very very little. But and you're still a teenager at this still point. Still a teenager. Then the army. Uh, Krishna Murti. Then eventually every day I would read. And uh, luckily, all Israelis they go to India after the army. Yes, I didn't, do. yeah, I didn't really know okay. why, but I, yeah, I just followed. The, you get money from the army, and then I just followed, and poured into India, and uh, did some yoga. And after ten days, I think in India, I found the the school that I'm in now. The teachings that uh, now we are also teaching, and that was the shift for me because I was studying a lot inside and then somebody put it there in clear charts I heard about the chakras and I felt as I was passing through different teachers of the school that yes this kind of life like this person yes that I want to be and even the older students that no okay this is yes this is confident this is calm this is meaningful this is loving this is happy and free. Yes, this I want to be. And then having these modules and having the, the written material and the practice and I could feel the energy flow and so forth uh, quite from the start, then I, I decided to uh, engage in this path. I went to many other different schools keeping the practice from the tantric teachings and eventually after about a year I decided to devote myself to to this path completely. And it's been how long now? Almost 18 years. Yes. Wow. Did you ever flirt? Because, I mean, it's remarkable. I think we've, we've had very similar backgrounds in some ways with this stuff. Because at one point I flirted, not that seriously, but kind of seriously, about just entering a monastery, mm -hmm. foregoing sexuality, foregoing women, foregoing pleasure. Yes. Was that ever something you considered? Yes, already at a very young age, when I was 10 or 11, I remember having this continuous wish to go in Antarctica and to live in the snow by myself. <laughs> yeah, it was... Be the coldest Jew in the world. <laughs> yes, be the coldest Jew in the world. It kept on repeating that I want to be alone in the snow and uh, having some occasions of, of working and teaching uh, yoga and studying with monks and teaching monks, um, I often... Uh, no, often is not precise, but once or twice I really burst into tears because the, um, this lifestyle is somehow very familiar to my heart, is very familiar to my soul. And I, yes, I've spent two and a half years of my life in silence. I would go three months a year in, in retreats, in the snow, in the mountains to live my childhood dream, and I would just meditate for 12 or 13 hours every day and in, in the Denmark night or? in Romania Romania yes and uh, I could live that I feel this life is not my task 
it's not my necessity to to do that and yes I have tremendous uh, tremendous longing for this life tremendous tremendous longing to live in just to live in meditation and in spiritual practice but now this life it's different and I'm supposed to do something else and I do it with great joy and enthusiasm yes mm, that's very apparent yes I hope we can talk some other time because there's more I want to ask you but before I let you go if someone's listening to this and they just kind of want to dip their toe in the water perhaps sounds a bit glib but are there any sort of basic steps or just even one or two books someone could look to that you think are pretty good on this topic or a lecturer or a thinker or, or? yeah yeah so first uh, if you have I would check the Atman Federation there are schools in maybe 300 cities in the world and there you can study the same course like here and uh, that's the best because you cannot really workshop spirituality you cannot do it in a workshop it needs to be schooled and that's a weekly course and it's solid and it will get you through all the steps of Tantra so the Atman Federation that would be my first recommendation books wise uh, you mentioned David Deida so The Way of the Superior Man and Dear Lover are very good if you want to know the scholarly side of Tantra then uh, Tantra The Path of Ecstasy by George Feuerstein scholarly wise is the best if you want to read the life of a tantric uh, practitioner initiated a man initiated by a female master then Daniel Odier the tantric journey is uh, very wonderful yeah Radu turned me on to that and I'm just great what's the the first one about his uh, travels in India tantric quest Tantric Quest, yes. Oh, it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Odier. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's very, very good. Very, and I think that's good too for an absolute, it would be good for an absolute beginner yes, too. Yes, yeah. yes, because he's also a good enough writer. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, and the Tantras. I would read, if you are a little bit um, more open and spiritual, I would read the Shiva Sutra, the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, these two, they are the easiest to start with because the tantric texts, they hold the power. They were written from a completely different state of consciousness. Mm. Yes. And we can find you in the web. Is it, is it tantrayogathailand.com? Tantrayogathailand.com. Tantrayogathailand.com. Yeah. Be sure to include a link. Yes, and uh, the Facebook also. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so I've been experimenting with this new closing format. Sometimes it's corny, sometimes it's not. I'd like you to complete these sentences with just the first things that come to mind. Sure. The trait I am most drawn to in the opposite sex is? Vividness. Vividness? Yes. Love is? Infinite. Infinite. I would most like to be remembered as? Nothing. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you very much, <laughs> That was great. That was really great. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, remarkably, 40-some minutes later, I am still sick. So I, <laughs> I will keep this outro short as well. 
I'll tell you that if you want links to everything Uriel talked about, particularly his recommendations toward the end of our conversation, you can go to humansandlove.com. You'll find show notes and a bunch of information about Tantra. Aside from that, I'll remind you once again that ratings and reviews mean a lot to me. So if you dig the show, please let others know. Leave a rating and review using your podcast app of choice. All right, my friends, I hope you have a tremendous rest of the week. Remember that life is short, far too short to be (laughs) sick in bed with a cold. Hopefully I'm feeling better when I speak to you again next Tuesday. Talk to you then. Mm -hmm.